you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. Good evening, everyone. Advent is a season of the liturgical year observed in most Christian denominations as a time of expectant waiting and preparation for both the celebration of the nativity of Christ at Christmas and the return of Christ at the second coming. Writer and podcast host Brandy Miller, one of my favorites, states this, leading up to the celebration of the 12 days of Christmas, the Advent season is an opportunity to look forward to better things to come. It is a chance to lean into the discipline of hope, hope for ourselves, hope for others, and hope for the world. Our passage tonight comes from Luke 3, 1 through 6, and it reads this. It was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea. Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over Eturia and Trachonitis. Lysanias was ruler over Albaline. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. And at this time, a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, also known as John the Baptist, who was living in the wilderness. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled and the mountains and hills made level. The curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth. And all the people will see the salvation sent from God. So to recap this passage, in the first three chapters of Luke, Luke closely contrasted the ministry of John the Baptist with that of Jesus. And chapter 1 begins the birth of John the Baptist and concludes with his residing in the wilderness. Chapter 2 switches to the birth of Jesus and ends with his teaching in the temple at age 12. Then Luke makes a literary change in chapter 3 by going back to an adult John the Baptist as the voice crying in the wilderness. So here's the thing. I find it interesting that before Luke tells us who John the Baptist was, what John the Baptist was saying, or who he was saying it to, in our passage, Luke clearly spends time telling us who was in charge of the land during this time, which communicates that the coming of Jesus and who was reigning as a political authority figure, at that time was deeply connected together with purpose and intention. The coming of the birth of Jesus was indeed a threat to political power, authority, and rule. But to those experiencing the oppression, the coming of Jesus was a gift of hope and liberation. Pastor, author, and writer Kurt Willems wrote an article on the Roman Empire during the time of Jesus, giving background to the Gospel of Luke. And so I did my best um, just taking overarching ideas from that article and simplifying it for our time together tonight. 
So before the birth of Jesus, it had already been established that Caesar Augustus, also known as as Tiberius, was literally called Son of God, who was the great Savior of the whole earth through bringing peace to Rome. The announcement of this was seen as good news. Now, what's fascinating to me is that he did this by raising taxes on the poor, establishing systems that kept the rich rich, built new buildings that made people feel like gentrification was a good thing. Caesar Augustus threw games in large stadiums in his own honor to distract the people from what was really going on. And what is also fascinating to me is that the themes of Son of God, Savior, Peace, and good news were used as the language to describe the president, Caesar Augustus. And that language was spoken by those who pledged their allegiance to his political party, a religion, so to speak, which kept Caesar Augustus in office at that time. Just let that sink in for a minute. So these themes, these words, these phrases were already being used to describe a political figure before the birth of Jesus. Can you imagine how Mary felt when the angel Gabriel showed up and said to her, you will give birth to Jesus, son of God. I've heard indigenous people say that women are honored as carriers of life carriers of culture. So Mary, a woman, was chosen and honored by God to be the carrier of a culture that was subversive to the oppression and the political powers of her time. Women in the room, I hope you feel honored in this moment that even if you never give birth to a child, your body has been historically honored by God to be a carrier of culture and life that is subversive to any oppression you might experience. Your presence as a woman is powerful. Your body as a woman is powerful. And your words as a woman are powerful. Let that sink in. So let's get back to the passage. After clearly establishing the political unrest happening at that time, we pick it up in verse 2 of Luke chapter 3, and it reads, At this time, a message from God came to John of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled. The mountains and hills made level. The curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth. And all people will see salvation sent from God. If you didn't know this, 75% of people in Jesus' day died before they saw the age of 30. Male life expectancy at birth was literally 25 years old. So based on scripture, we know that John the Baptist was about six months older than Jesus. So both Jesus and John would have been considerably old men for their age at that time. 
At any rate, John is described as some sort of prophet who exudes great discipline by living in the wilderness. Because to ancients, the wilderness was a place beyond human habitation, dangerous and inhabited by evil spirits. John's preaching of repentance appears to be advocating a transformation of society as a whole under the rule of God, while in the midst of oppression, oppressive politicians. Both John the Baptist and Jesus had the same goal of bringing salvation to God's people. John the Baptist did this through preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus, on the other hand, preached good news to the poor in the year of the Lord's favor. Together, both messages create a complete and holistic society of peace and shalom. The message of John the Baptist pushes further against the division caused by differences in social status. Those who have must share clothing and food with those who have not. Those who have must cease cheating and extorting. For Luke, the gospel of repentance is not merely a spiritual changing of mind or a turning from one's formal ways. It has at its core the obligation and duty to empower all to complete living in the shalom, in the true peace, and in restorative justice. So to recap once again our passage, there's political unrest and oppression. John the Baptist is advocating, pleading that those participating in the system of oppression would repent, change their ways, and be baptized into a way of God, which is a way of love, deliverance, liberation, and freedom. And in the same way that God rescued the children of Israel from the oppression of the Egyptians by parting the Red Sea, John invites all those who will hear him into a purification ceremony to be released from their bad hearts and broken ways. And John does this by quoting Isaiah 40, 3 through 5. Something my husband taught me is that there were two writers of Isaiah, if you didn't know this. We don't know who the second writer of Isaiah was, but we know that they picked up the pen to continue the story and bring hope to Israel. In a time when the people didn't believe God would hear them, deliver them, or see them, the second writer of Isaiah pens these words, paraphrasing. Prepare your lives for Jesus, the soon coming king. Do right by people in dark places. For this is how you make a, a highway for God. For in the reign of Jesus, he makes all things right. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the unjust who oppress shall be set straight, and all rough places made plain. John the Baptist is inviting us to lean in and help make things right, and he invites us to participate in the mission of Jesus. Before my grandmother passed, I somehow miraculously got a copy of her Hebrew-Greek key study Bible, one of my favorites. And after looking up many of the root words in the context of our passage, I wrote out my own translation of this passage, and it reads this. Do right by people in dark places. Exalt those who go unseen in low spaces. 
Make those who are on mountaintops and hills brought low. Set straight the crooked and unjust to oppress. Make those rough places and spaces smooth and plain again. Don't stand by and watch. Join in and participate. Repent and turn from your wicked ways. Renew your hope in a God who liberates and delivers. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Come and be baptized in this way, for this is the way of Jesus. Band, you can come up. And as they do that, Pastor Stanley Hauerwas says this. Christians are called to nonviolence not because we believe nonviolence is a strategy to rid the world of war. But in a world of war, as faithful followers of Christ... We cannot imagine anything other than being nonviolent. And that will make the world possibly more violent because the world does not want the order it calls peace, exposed as the violence it so oftentimes is. Now, learning how to wait as a people of nonviolence in a world of war is what Advent is. The temptation of our time is to throw our hands in the air and say, it's all bad anyway. We cannot stop the oppression. We cannot stop the injustice. We cannot stop the school shootings. We cannot stop police brutality. We cannot stop or abolish the death penalty. There is nothing we can do. K sarah sarah, whatever will be, will be. And all we should focus on is getting to heaven and bringing others with us. But the life of Jesus and even his very birth suggests that heaven is the kingdom of God here on earth. And that is the mission that Jesus invites us into. Luke's gospel reminds us that the advent coming of Jesus is and always has been a community affair. And Jesus is inviting us to participate and prepare the way of his coming, which brings us to the here and now. In this womb time season, I believe Jesus is inviting us into the sacred movement of God that we each embody and are invited to carry forward. I like the way Wilda C. Gaffney describes it. She says, Luke demonstrates for us that the advent of Jesus is a community affair. Elizabeth, Zachariah, John the Baptist, a divine messenger, and God all working together before we even get to Mary, Joseph, and the Holy Spirit. And all together, they facilitate a conversation about our work toward the next appearance of the incarnate God in our world. We Advent together. A few of our friends, some of you may have heard, are here from Neighborhood Ministries, and they're going to help us actually put this in practice tonight. Voting is one way we can practice the ways of Jesus together. By voting, you can change systems and structures in your neighborhood and truly love your neighbors well as you learn what they actually need. 
Kaleo, if you didn't know, partners and supports neighborhood ministries. My husband, Kendall, works there as a youth pastor. A few of us in this room even help serve there on a Wednesday nights. But to give you a little background on what Neighborhood Ministries is, for over 30 years, kids in urban Phoenix have been coming to Neighborhood Ministries every summer for Kids Club. And Fonzie, who's here tonight and at the table, even reminded me that his first Kids Club was here, here at Grace Lutheran, like literally right outside this door, which is kind of cool. That was 18 years ago. And the kids that, that came 30 years ago now even volunteer to help bring their own children to attend, and Fonzie's one of those people. Neighborhood Ministries is a place of belonging and a place where the love of God is evident. And their vision is not just to serve the community, but to be a part of the neighborhood, to be the very presence of Jesus. So if you have not registered to vote and you would like to, definitely stop by the table out there on your way out. And a few other announcements before we dismiss tonight is our Christmas Eve gathering is at 5 p.m. December 24th, and there will be no in-person gathering on December 26th. We'll do a Sabbath together and share a prayer guide for the day. Um, but until we see you again, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God bless you guys. For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.